0: Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. And we're joined by the UFC welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Uzman, who will be facing Gilbert Burns February the 13th. So not this weekend, but the following weekend at UFC 258. Always love catching up with the champ. He's one of my favorite people to interview. Just a, a real class act and... Uh, really has earned his way to becoming a champion, one of the most dominant fighters in the UFC today. So always enjoy speaking to Kamaru. And we've got the two participants in this weekend's co-main event, the card headlined by Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov, but a very high-stakes co-main event between Frankie Edgar and Corey Sandhagen, with the winner of that fight, likely getting the next shot at the bantamweight title, which will be contested at the end of March. UFC 260, Piotr Jan taking on... Aljamain Sterling in a bout that was postponed from late last year. So we'll be joined by both Corey Sanhagen and Frankie Edgar, who will talk about their, you know, title hopes. We're also joined by two of the biggest stars outside of the UFC, both former UFC competitors and former UFC champions, Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez, who are going to be fighting again in April for one championship. They didn't get to compete in 2020 due to the pandemic that has uh, made it very difficult to travel between Asia and uh, the United States. So, and, of course, one doing all of their events in Asia made it difficult for them to compete. So they're back on the horse, so to speak, in 2021. And uh, Demetrius Johnson looking to add some hardware to his trophy case, taking on Adriano Moraes for the one bantamweight championship. So uh, looking forward to speaking with both of them. In fact, I've already spoken to them, both of them, and they're both great interviews. So I'm looking forward to sharing them with you is probably a better way of stating that. And Slow Mike Rodriguez on this weekend's card, taking on Danilo Marquez. Pleasure catching up with Slow Mike. Obviously coming off of a very controversial loss to Ed Herman, a fight that he likely should have won, it had instant replay been instituted at that point in time, had the commission listened to the appeal. I don't know why they would would not listen to the appeal, because to me it seemed pretty cut and dry that that should have been overturned to a no contest. But uh, it registers as a loss. It seems to be in the rearview mirror for Slow Mike. So uh, you'll get to hear that conversation as well. Let's get started with the champion of the welterweight division in the UFC. It is Kamaru Usman. He joins us, followed by cory sanhagen frankie edgar demetrius johnson eddie alvarez mike rodriguez stack show today and i'm excited to share it with you here is kamaru uzman undefeated in the ufc he is the welterweight champion of the world he's kamaru uzman he's facing somebody very familiar to him at ufc 258 that would be gilbert burns and i spoke to gilbert over the weekend he said you guys have sparred together 200 plus hours for free and now we get to uh, you guys get to get paid for it. So that must be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um,
1: now we just get to do what we've been doing for years for free.
0: We get to get paid a lot of money for it. And and, uh, I mean, a lot of money. How competitive are the sparring sessions? Like, when you guys are sparring, are you guys trying to best each other? Are you trying to learn?
1: No, that's the thing with me is I've always been a good teammate to where I'm not, I'm not getting paid to to win and practice. Of course, I'm getting paid. Of course, I want to perfect what I'm doing so I can go out there and get paid. But um, in practice, people don't, you know, those guys don't really get to see that extra gear that I have because I have no reason to kick it, bring it out. And so now when they're going to be locked in the cage with me, for real, they get to experience it and know that it's it's definitely different than the guy that I thought I knew.
0: With Burns, you often employ a game plan of, you know, the, the path of least resistance, the the smartest way to win a fight is the way that you want to go about it. What is that against Gilbert Burns? Because on the ground, we all know that he's a shark in the ocean. I mean, he's he's good at everything, he's great at submissions, and on the feet, he's really improved to a point where his stand up is as good as anybody's in the division.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what he brings to the table that night. Um. I've got, gotten to the point where, you know, I account for variable change and, and, and anything that could happen. So whatever he brings to the table that night, if he's able to, you know, push me and get me to, to fight and bring that dog out, then it's going to make for a, a, a different fight, but i in a, and a very competitive fight. But if he hadn't done his homework enough and, and he's slipping and I find an area to exploit, I will absolutely do that. And, um, You know, that's why you get me winning fights 50 to 43, 50 to 44 sometimes.
0: True or false? He's the toughest matchup for you in the division.
1: Yeah, absolutely true, because he's the next guy in the division. You know, if he wasn't the toughest guy, then he wouldn't be the next guy up. So I I think he's, uh, you know, kind of made that case for himself as, as being the next toughest guy up at the moment. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's my job to let these guys know that I'm head and shoulders above every, every last one of them. And so he's made his way up. Now I've got to let him know that you're not, you're not there yet.
0: How important is it for you to have a new challenge? So let's say you are successful at UFC 258. You look down the ladder. I mean, you got Masvidal. That, that, mark, uh, that box is checked. You got Covington. That box is checked. Edwards, that box is checked, but Edwards is facing Khamzat Shemaev soon. That's, that's a new kind of dark horse in the division. I mean, he's only fought once in the welterweight division, uh, albeit against the guy that a lot of people thought was a lightweight. That being said, he's got the opportunity to prove himself against Leon Edwards. Is that a matchup that would excite you, or do you think it's too much too soon for him?
1: I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that has done great with what he's been, uh, what he's been presented with you know, the opposition that has been thrown his way, he's, he's passed with flying colors. So, you know, that more power to him, he's been doing a great job. This is, you know, just another opportunity for him to go out there and prove it. And if he's able to prove it, then he, you know, he lets everyone know that, Hey, you know, maybe I belong up there with some of those top guys. And so, yeah, styles make fights. Um, it's a good, it's a good fight. It's a good matchup. And it's also a good a good one for Leon Edwards because um It lets Leon know that, hey, it gives Leon that extra. Leon's been working quietly for a long, long time. And now you've got a guy that has a lot of noise coming with him. You go out there and you vanquish that guy. You let everyone know that, hey, I got no, you you know, that noise need to be put on me. So it's good for Leon in that sense. But as far as proving himself, Leon has proved himself that he can beat some of those upper echelon guys up there. And now this is just an opportunity for Hamza to prove that.
0: You've moved to Denver for this particular camp and for, I believe, your previous camp as well, Trevor, Trevor Whitman was in your corner. Um, I imagine it's very tough for you to be away your, from your daughter. Is this the kind of thing that would drive you to work harder? I mean, knowing that you're putting yourself in a, a bit of an uncomfortable place, being away from the things you've been used to the last couple of years, going somewhere. I mean, we, we talked before this interview started about, uh, being, you know, about it being cold in Denver, just things that you're not accustomed to. Does making yourself a little bit more uncomfortable in terms of you know where you're at in life does that make you more driven to win your subsequent fights
1: um i wouldn't say more driven um it definitely is not as 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 comfortable because i love my daughter i love being around my daughter i love you know just sharing moments with her and uh not being able to to have that it, it's it's just uh, it's 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 an added um umph as far as you know, why, why am I, sac- what am I sacrificing really in order to achieve what I've set out to do? And, um, you know, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it all. Um, sometimes you have to be uncomfortable in order to, uh, achieve great things. And, uh, you know, I, I, am fully aware of that and I'm excited to go out there and compete and, and, and really put it all into flourishing because I didn't sacrifice leaving my daughter for nothing. And, um, you know, hopefully February 13th, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show the world what I, you know, what I sacrificed
0: that for. How often are you able to see her? And, and speak? I imagine I'm, you can speak to her pretty much daily on FaceTime or anything along those lines, but when was the last time you saw her and when are you going to see her again?
1: I saw her right um, after Christmas. Oh, a little bit before, Christ- uh, a little bit after Christmas. You know, I was able to bring her here and have her experience the snow and, and play in it, which she loved. But, um, you know, not... Not really since after that, because I, I really wanted to focus. I really wanted to kind of put more time here because last camp was a little short because we didn't have too much time to prepare and really get to, to be with one another, myself and Trevor. And this camp, you know, we, we've put more time in. So we were able to be a little bit more comfortable in that sense.
0: How much of your time is spent at uh, Team Elevation? Are you working there as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We work for sure. That we go there for our, our spars, and uh, you know, sometimes I go into some of the wrestling classes or some of the technical classes as well. You know, a lot of tough guys, a lot of good guys here. You know, even before coming, I didn't realize how many, you know, tough and good guys were actually here training. And then when you get to practice every day and you start to see these guys and that guy, I'm like, wow, there's a, there's a ton
0: of guys here that are
1: that are talented. So, you know, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying the experience for sure.
0: A lot of these guys are in camp. You've got uh Overeem in the main event this coming weekend. You got San Hagen in the co-main event uh next weekend as well. Uh of course Curtis Blades is uh headlining a card soon. I mean, these guys are all in camp. So how uh, how much does that benefit you?
1: It's good. I mean, to to see them, you know. Uh, when you go to the gym for sparring and you see the the rounds written up on the on the board who's in the cage at which time, it's like, wow, these guys all have fights, you know, and it, and it's great. Um, it's great. It's always great when you're in a in a common environment with with people, you know, working towards a common goal. So that that's always a good motivator.
0: So I spoke to Sean Shelby earlier today. He wanted me to ask you to book the lightweight division now that the uh, the main event happened this past weekend. We saw Dustin Poirier get the win, um, and he's trusting you with the the keys to the car. So how how does the lightweight uh, division shake out from here? What what are the matches you would make? What are the matchups that I would make? Wow,
1: that's a that's a that's a good one. Um, I'm I'm going um I would have to say uh, I'm going Dustin Poirier. I would throw him in there with with Oliveira. I think that that that's a that's a good one. You go Dustin and Oliveira just to give Dustin that fresh face because you know it, it's kind of clear that Dustin doesn't really want Justin Gaethje, you know, again. We even though that's not a fight that I wouldn't put past. They're one and two. Um but I would go Dustin versus Oliveira. I would go Gechi versus you know newcomer uh, uh uh you know Chandler who just definitely made a statement with his win and then uh um I would also go um RDA I would put RDA in there with um uh, you know I mean I I know they fought before um but no, actually i take that back. I would put RDA in there. I don't know why, you know, they're they're kind of counting him out and not putting him in there. I would put RDA in there with um with someone like um I would say give him Connor. That fight was a fight was meant to happen before it didn't take place. We all know how how that one was. And so I'd give him Connor.
0: All right. There you go. That's the uh, uh, as Connor quoted at the Red Panty Night. It's it's all all coming back together. That's a good that's a good fight. I like that fight because, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, that was one that was supposed to come together. But the fight that fell that came together as a result of uh, that fight falling apart was the Nate fight. I I like the Nate trilogy. I would like to see Connor Nate number three. And I think maybe Uh you do RDA Ferguson, something along those lines, RDA versus Hooker something, something like that for RDA.
1: I like, I, I like that too, but this is, now this is one thing that you have to ask yourself. And, and it's not just, yeah, as a promoter, yeah, it makes sense. You know your, your job is to try to make as much money as possible for the company. But when you look at the, uh, the athletes and the opponent, it's, it's like, okay, Connor, uh, what, are, what are you fighting for? Are you trying to get back to the title? Or are you just trying to entertain and, and, and make money here? Because if it's for you still trying to chase after being the best in the world, what what good is it? What's the point of fighting Nate Diaz who really hasn't fought anyone in that top five in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in a while? That he's just kind of hanging out just to fight and make money and, and, and you know, sit on the shelf for a while. So that's the only reason why I wouldn't make that fight. But, of course, the trilogy makes sense. It, it, it's, you know, it makes money. You know, both guys make money. But what does that do for someone like Conor? You know, it's not like Nate Nate's in the top five. You know, that's not gonna get getting you any closer to being the champion. If you really want to wear gold, then you know, that's not necessarily the fight that you make. But of course, as a promoter standpoint, yeah, that's a good fight to make.
0: And I'm with you on your uh, your former training partner, Michael Chandler, against your current uh training partner, Justin Gage, you'd have to be a fool not to make that fight. That fight is like that that's that's a five-star fight. I I don't see how that one could be bad. It just couldn't.
1: That that's a that's a wild one. I mean, if you if you think about it, you think about the you think about the Eddie Alvarez and Chandler, the Eddie Alvarez and Gaethje, the Gaethje
0: and, and, and now Chandler. Oh my God. Mine just blew up. I watched a, a video that you did. It was an interview. There was about an hour long with uh, the, um, I think it was the, the Harvard, something, something with Har- Harvard, Nigerian associations, something along those lines. Uh, it was a great interview. It was great to learn about your upbringing and about uh, how you ended up in this sport. Um, what's, how what do your parents think of everything now you know you're a champion you have not yet lost in the UFC uh you might never lose in the UFC I mean based on how you've been fighting you you know haven't been close to losing as of yet uh what what do they think when they they call you on the phone and they talk to you on any any given conversation uh if your career ever comes up how do they discuss it with you my parents are celebrities now
1: (laughs) (laughs) my parents don't care now they're celebrities you know, growing up, you know, of course, your parents want the best for you, and so they try to steer you in the direction they feel is the best. Which, you know, as an immigrant and also as an African, you know, your parents try to steer you towards that that field that they feel like you could always provide, you could always find a job, you will always be stable, and that's the medical field, the engineering field, and things of that nature. Definitely not in something as as unforgiving and as, as just unpredictable as as this mixed sport of mixed martial arts. So, yeah, I, I don't expect them. They were good parents, very, very good parents. So I expect them to make good decisions. I and mean, a good decision would be to, this one, you for sure will get a job. Just go through the school and the program, and you will always be safe and good. Or this one, it's a wild card. You store your chips in and see what happens. And, yes, of course, they 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 would choose that. But seeing where I am now, they know that i made the right decision. And and like I mentioned, my
0: parents are celebrities. They don't care anymore. <laughs> It seems like every time you came to them with a new endeavor that you were gonna to try to achieve, they were like, yeah, as long as you you keep up with your studies, as long as yeah. you, you hit the books, we're good with whatever you do. <laughs> so when when you're done this career, what what's next for you? Do you have a background that you've been studying in the meantime or anything along those lines that's um, captured your interest for what you want to do in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh now it's it's of course I I I always for the longest time, I always wanted to be at first I wanted to be a nurse and then you know, for the longest time, I realized that I, I really want to help. So I wanted to be a, a marriage counselor. But now it's in a position that I'm in, I, I'm I'm learning so much about business and wanting how to learn how to, to do business and just accumulate wealth, not just for myself, but, you know, wealth to where I can actually help and, and take care of my family and also help so many because, you know, I come from a country to where that, that's not something that's easily attained. And so to be in a position to be able to learn more and go out there and attain it and use it to do some good in the world. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely business and learning how to do that is, is definitely in the forefront.
0: Well, you might want to hit Reddit. Apparently, they're, uh, they're good at accumulating wealth these days uh, with GameStop, AMC. Have you been
1: following that. all that? Yeah, we were
0: watching that. We were watching what they're doing that with that GameStop. <laughs> that's pretty unbelievable. I mean, that's that's remarkable stuff. You didn't get in on that early, I imagine. I wish.
1: I wish. But uh, I'm still <laughs> sitting pretty over here. We're, we're, you know, we we did some things,
0: too. We made some moves that uh, are paying off. So we're good, too. All right, Kamara. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I'm sure I'll speak to you again during Fight Week. Uh, best of luck with uh, with everything with Gilbert Burns. Uh, should be an interesting match. I mean, you know, I asked him, before, before I let you go, one last thing. You know, I asked him, is, is there... Any, you know? Do you bring any sort of baggage into this fight, knowing that this guy's a friend? This guy's a guy that you've you've spent a lot of time with on the mats. I'm sure you've spent time with him outside of the gym. Uh, just a good guy. And, you know, you're, you're a good guy as well. You guys can probably mutually agree upon the fact that you guys are both good guys. Does it make it difficult for you to, to enter the cage with somebody that you have such a great deal of respect for? Uh, not just professionally, but personally.
1: No. No, it doesn't. Because at the end of the day, for me, I see no face by the time we get in there. You know. They, they looked at what I had and said, no, I want to take that from you. And so I have to treat him all the same and I have to discipline them all the same way. So, you know, by the time we're locked in the cage, I have to treat him the same way as I treat the others So, yeah, um, you know, it's no difference for me.
0: All right, Kamaru. Well, I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for this and uh, best of luck with your training and everything that goes into uh, this fight with Gilbert Burns. It's UFC 258, February the 13th. And I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, my man. Well, there's clearly something in the water at Team Elevation. You have Neil Magny in the main event two weeks ago. You've got Overeem in the main event this weekend. The co-main event, Corey Sanhagen. You've got Curtis Blades next week. What's in the water up there? You guys are just poised for, for greatness right now at Team Elevation. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think, uh, I mean, we've been a team for a long time. I think they're kind of just catching up to us now.
0: Well, it's, it's certainly nice to see. I know you guys put in a ton of uh, of work up there and uh Frankie Edgar your challenge ahead of you co-main event this is a fight you asked for uh when the name came across your desk you were like you know it didn't really matter to you when the date was
2: uh no I mean uh it's Frankie Edgar man I I I get to fight Frankie Edgar that that's awesome uh I think it's great that he's coming off a really impressive win against Munoz too I think that that kind of just adds to adds to it a little bit more and um, yeah, man, very, very excited to be fighting, uh, you know, such a, such a great fighter.
0: And when I spoke to him yesterday, he believes that the winner of this fight will be in line for a title shot. I imagine you agree.
2: Yep, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think Garbrandt's going down. TJ's coming off of a pretty serious suspension. And, uh, you know, I think that that only leaves really me and him left. And, uh, unless nothing crazy happens, I think that that's what it'll be.
0: I saw you on Food Truck uh, Diaries with uh, Brandon Schaub, and you mentioned to him that you don't want to have another person do to you what Aljamain Sterling did to you. You don't want to be able to uh, be in that kind of predicament ever again. Does a revenge fight matter to you? Like, do you want to get that one back against Aljamain Sterling to prove that maybe perhaps that was a fluke? Yes,
2: I would like to do that. Um, I wouldn't call it a fluke, though. You know, I, I think that he beat me. You know, like, he, he, uh, he was more experienced and I think he used his experience to take advantage of like me being flat, you know? Um, so yeah, so I wouldn't really say, I, I, I don't think it was a fluke. He he was better than me that night, you know? Um, but I do think that I, I can beat him. Uh, I think that on most nights I, I beat him. Um, just, you know, that night it, it, it wasn't for me and that's okay. That happens in the sport. And, uh, that's the way that it is, but I mean, I would love to get that one back against Al Jermaine. Uh I, I hate losing. I hate the stupid conversations that you have to have with people after you lose. I hate, uh, you know, people looking at you weird. I, I hate the feeling of, you know, that you're not good enough. All of those feelings that come with losing, I I absolutely dread. So uh, I hope that it never happens again, and I, I have been working on the areas that I need to be working on so that it doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, fluke is probably the wrong word, but more so that it's not a, a correct indication of your skill set, how good you are, um, and you know, it wasn't, basically it wasn't the best account for yourself.
2: I would absolutely say that that was not a good representation of the type of fighter that I am.
0: And going back to that interview with Brendan, another thing that you said really stuck out to me, which was when you first got to the UFC, you looked around the room and you, you looked at all of the other fighters and you, you could tell that some of them weren't there to be the champion. You, you, you just had a sense that there were certain fighters that were just happy to be in the UFC. How can you gauge that from just being in a room with all the different fighters? What, what were the different mannerisms you noticed? You don't need to name names or anything, but I'm just curious.
2: I could I could kind of just tell man I th- I think uh you know you, you just kind of pick up on those kinds of en- energies you kind of pick up on like uh you know when when you kind of meet someone you can you can't know everything about them but I think that you can you know just kind of based off of their actions the way that they talk the way that uh you know all of those things I think that you can kind of pick up on stuff but not only that man but I I mean I've had a number of friends because I've been on really good teams my entire career I've had really good friends that made it to the UFC, um, had, you know, their couple of fights. And then, you know, you kind of just see them stop caring as much because they 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 reached their goal of getting into the UFC. Um, And I've seen it happen. I've had them admit that that was what was happening. And um, I I think that being a champion isn't for everyone, you know, and uh, it's not everyone's goal, whether they like to say that or not. Um, and just being in the UFC is good enough for some people and you know I, I notice that and I've seen it firsthand with friends
0: of of my own you know when we last spoke you talked about wanting to be in a certain zone I forget what you called it it was something that you had read in a book when you were going into that fight with Marlon Rice did you achieve that or did, were there still some things going into that fight you would have liked to change in terms of just your demeanor or, or where you were at no, I was
2: locked in for that fight. It was uh it was me convincing my body and my mind that if we didn't go out and we didn't perform our best, we were going to get knocked out. And uh my body and my mind and you know all of the reactions that uh that um are kind of just inside you. Um uh, they responded really well to that type of, uh, stress. And, um, that was something that I really like that I got to conquer. Um, and, um, it's something that I of course was working on a ton for this fight also. Um, every sparring session I I do, I do a visualization and, and I do some breathing exercises in order to put myself in, uh, um, a state where I can deal with really high stress because that's what fighting is, um and deal with the intensity of what a fight is and I, I think that I've gotten better at it since the last one. So I anticipate I'll be able to kind of replicate that same type of fire inside of me. Um but I guess we'll see.
0: Well, no disrespect to Frankie Edgar, the guy's a future Hall of Famer, but when you're going into a fight with Marlon Moraes, it's a little bit easier to convince yourself that you're going to get knocked out if you don't perform well, whereas Edgar is more of a, a tactician, uh, a guy that wins decisions because of how good he is, but not necessarily known for his finishing uh, power. Is is that something that is going to be difficult for you going into this fight to be able to replicate those feelings?
2: Um, No, because I just word them differently. You know, like, um, getting finished isn't the part that hurts it's the losing part that really hurts um and I think that uh I have a huge aversion to that like I don't, I don't like feeling like I lost like I don't like all the entire experience of losing I really hate um and I think that Frankie uh can definitely you know beat me if I if I let him and um I know that you know I'm smart enough to know that and uh and I think, um, that's just all the more reason to fight that much harder is because Frankie is, you know, I don't want to call him a point fighter, um, but he's definitely someone, like you said, that takes a strategic route and isn't the most dangerous guy on paper. Um, but that being said, uh, he, he brings the danger of, you know, him beating you by grinding you out and gritting you out. And, uh, and losing is losing, whether you get finished or you don't. Like those those feelings of losing suck, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want that to happen again. So it's it's been easy for me to get those, that fire underneath me, just by thinking about how much I want to go home with a win against Frankie Edgar on on Saturday.
0: You mentioned to James Lynch that uh, Dustin Ortiz is there as a training partner for you how Mm -hmm. how valuable is that i mean if you're going to find someone who who fights very similarly to frankie edgar he's definitely fits that mold perfect
2: yeah it kind of just landed right in my lap um i think dustin does a great job making the same uh he makes a lot of the same decisions that i think frankie's going to make kind of a similar build I, i don't have too many training partners that uh are are built like the 135 division that we have so um, yeah, man. I mean, Dustin has been super helpful, man. Like I, I get like a real life look at what, um, a good experienced fighter who is that size and makes a lot of the same decisions as Frankie. I, I get to experience, I've, I've got to experience that for the whole, you know, 10, 10 weeks that we've been doing this. And, uh, that has definitely brought me a lot of confidence and I, and I owe that guy a big thank you.
0: I feel like you'll answer this question honestly, but if you win this fight, do you win it by decision or do you win it inside the distance? Because Frankie is notoriously difficult to finish, uh, but you have proven to be a finisher. Yeah.
2: Um, I think I think he's not going to get knocked out, to be honest. Um, but I do think that uh, my grappling has gotten really good in the last year since this quarantine. Um, I know that the Aljamain fight didn't reflect that very greatly, but um, I do think i 'm a really good grappler, and I am definitely i think just as dangerous on the floor as i am uh as I am standing so if there is a finish that happens, I think it's a submission but uh like you said man like frankie 's solid, he makes good decisions, he keeps himself really safe and uh and, and he 's not an easy guy to beat, so you know the likelihood of it going to a decision, I would agree with you is very
0: high. Well, you say that uh, with Aljamain, it wasn't a good showcase of your grappling, but is there anything you could have done? I mean, when you go back and watch that, he had your neck pretty tight. If, is there something you could have done differently in that situation when you, were, when you were in in that kind of a guillotine choke? Could you have, I, okay. I don't know, gone for side control? Like when you go back and watch it, or are you like, well, there's nothing I really could have done there?
2: I mean, I definitely could have protected my neck a lot better. And I, uh, you know, in, in that fight, if, if you want like a technical explanation of what happened, it was... Um, You know, I was more worried because he he likes to triangle his legs in a a body lock when he's on the back, and um, that can be a nightmare to get out of in any fight. I think every fighter knows how tough that is to get out of, so I think I was just more concerned with that than I was about actually defending what was going to finish me, Um, just because I didn't want to be tied up on the ground for, you know, three or four minutes and then have him win that round by controlling me with the body lock, so I mean my attention was just way too much on getting out of the the triangle the triangle of his legs and uh that opened up my neck and um you know if if there was something to be learned it was that uh hey protect what's actually dangerous and then worry about losing the round um but defend yourself first.
0: What do you think of Piotr on the champion? It feels like he hasn't been in the UFC for all that long. There's not that much you can read into his his different wins. How impressed are you by him? And do you think that he's actually better than he's shown to be?
2: No, I think he's about as good as he's shown to be. I think that, uh, you know, I I can't wait for the day that I get to fight Jan because um, I think, you know, for whatever reason, people think that he's the greatest thing in the world when really his wins aren't, you know, he's very exciting, don't get me wrong, but the caliber of opponents that I think he's beaten, um, especially for that championship fight. No, you know, not taking anything away from Aldo. Cause I think Aldo is definitely a really great opponent, but leading up to that, man, like, I think that he had a lot easier route than a lot of us. And, um, I can't wait for that matchup, man. I think stylistically I work, you know, I, I do really well against Jan and, um, but I, I do have a lot of respect for the guy. He's tough. He's, he fights to hurt you. And, um, and he's really technical, and, and I think he's good. Uh, that being said, I can't wait to beat a guy like that.
0: End of 2021, do we see a belt around your waist? Is that the goal?
2: That's the goal. I, I want to win it in July, man. I, I think I win this one spectacularly. Um, I fight one of those guys, the winner of Sterling and Jan, in, in July, and then I, I want to defend it at the end of the year. So, um, you know, if the UFC makes that happen... I know that I have a big belief in myself, and I know that I can I can do uh, some really high level things, and I and I can create a pretty solid legacy. Um, and and I think that this year is the year that if things play out right, which they don't always do, but uh, you always plan on them playing out in the right way. Uh, I, I definitely see me winning the belt in in July against one of those guys, and then uh, defending it at the end of the year.
0: If you get the win this weekend and you, you come out injury free and they say, hey, we want you to come and be a be the backup fighter for the title fight. We want you to come and make weight. We'll pay you. Is that something that uh, that you would do? They will
2: probably do that, uh, is my guess, because they asked me to do that when they were um, scheduled to fight in December. Um, so I was the backup for that fight. Um We ended up turning that down very shortly before the fight got canceled because they told me that I was going to fight Frankie in February. um, And I didn't want to do two weight cuts because I don't think that that would be a wise decision uh, because the odds of the fight getting pulled out in December uh, were low. And then me having to do weight cuts would definitely impact my training. So um, that was kind of the plan in December. If it is this go around too then uh then yeah we'll we'll definitely talk. I think that there's a lot to be benefited from for for being that guy, and um, yeah, I mean, if they asked me to do it, you know it it'd definitely be really hard to say no.
0: All right, Corey, well, it's always a pleasure watching you perform, watching you evolve in the cage. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Frankie Edgar, the co-main event. Like I said, Team Evolution, it seems like, uh, Team Elevation, rather, it seems like you guys are at the top of every card right now, so it's, it's really cool to see. And then you've got Uzman fighting in the, uh, the main event of the next pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. He's been doing some reps with you guys, so uh, very cool to see your team getting, getting these big opportunities.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I, I, I really appreciate our chats.
0: He's the former UFC lightweight champion, undefeated in the bantamweight division and coming off a career high in significant strikes. Landed, it's Frankie, the answer, Edgar, taking on Corey Sanhagen, co-main event this weekend. With a win, Frankie, is it, is it a train ticket to town? Is that what you're hoping for?
3: Yeah, I mean, it would seem like that. You know, uh, uh, Corey's the only one ahead of me uh, other than Aljo, and uh, obviously they're fighting for the belt. So I think a win here would definitely, uh, definitely get me a title shot.
0: Now, you've played gatekeeper before with uh, some of these young, talented uh, fighters like Yair Rodriguez. We saw how that went. A very lopsided fight in your favor. Is that how you expect it to go this, uh, this coming weekend?
3: I mean, yeah. That, that would be ideal. Uh, you never know how it's gonna, any fight's going to go until we get in there. But, uh, you know, Corey's definitely a, a tough opponent. But I'm excited. i trained, you know, very hard for this fight, just like I do all my other fights. And uh, I'm ready to go, uh, you know, put it to the test.
0: I know that your coaches watch most of the tape for you, but how much of Corey have you seen? I mean, I've seen him coming up, watching
3: him, and then obviously, you know, getting ready for him. Uh, you know, my coach just forced me to sit down and watch some of his, uh, some of his highlights and then things he does well.
0: Do you like watching highlights uh, of your opponent? I know a lot of fighters don't like seeing that because then when they have the opponent in front of them, that's what they're picturing.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say highlights, but just things he does well. Um, you, you got it's just part of the game. I, I don't really like watching tape much at all, but uh, you know, more kind
0: of makes me, so we,
3: we make it happen. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you're pretty established at this point in time, so I'm sure that there's not much that phases you going into a fight.
3: No, uh, you know, I've been, I'm pretty weathered, man. So, uh, yeah, I've seen most, mostly everything, and, uh, you know, it's uh, its kind of just uh,
0: business as usual. Has there ever been anything during fight week that's really thrown you, you know, in coming into a fight, whether you won or lost it, but is there anything that ever really shifted your focus in the wrong direction?
3: Not really. I'm so used to, you know, nothing really, I guess, uh, uh, strikes me as... as uh, um, surprising anymore. I've kind of been through it all, uh, whether it's an injury or a sickness or, you know, something in the family. Th- there's, there's always something. There's never anything, it never goes smooth. So that, when, it, when it goes smooth, I think that's when you have to, you know, be a little suspectable. suspectable huh?
0: But what I mean is, like, even like whether it was 10 years ago or anything, is there, any, you know, something during fight week that really uh, threw you off your game and whether or not that ended up affecting the fight?
3: No, not really. You know, honestly, the, most of the times I had something happened that I, I wasn't really ready for it didn't really want to happen uh, usually worked out even my last fight against Munoz, right before i left for uh for vegas i got bursitis on my elbow and i'm dealing with that the whole week and um yeah i mean you're gonna you're gonna see these things in fights so uh yeah it's gonna happen
0: what are you walking around at these days um have you been able to maintain a solid weight uh, that, that keeps you i guess on track for making 135
3: yeah, I, honestly, uh, I, I've always been about 155 my whole life, pretty much. And uh, that makes me, that makes through a 35, you know, very doable. So I just make sure, you know, I, I can get up 65, I really try. But, you know, now that I don't have to try to get big, it's kind of easy to stay stay down.
0: When you see like this past weekend, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and you see how big Poirier is at 155, he's probably in the high 180s, high, low 190s. Does it amaze you that you were competing in that same division when you just see the size of these guys today?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, some of the guys were pretty big when I, when I fought. I mean, Benson Henderson, I mean, he fights 70 now sometimes. Um, you know, even Gray was a pretty big dude. So, yeah, uh, it doesn't surprise me. The guys in this sport are just getting better. They're getting bigger. They're learning how to train harder and, and more efficient and diet better. So it's just a natural progression of the
0: sport. How would you book the lightweight division? That seems like the big question today, uh, you know, before everything kind of shifts to your event this coming weekend. How would you book the future of that division if you could?
3: Uh, I don't know. I, I know Dustin definitely has to fight for the title. Uh, I think he deserves it. Um, Justin's in the mix, obviously. Uh, Chandler's in the mix, and then Oliveira. So I don't know how you would mix those up. I mean, Connor's obviously going to bring a lot of a lot of eyes to, to it as well, so you got to mix those guys up, man. I, at this point, you can probably pull them out of a hat, and I think all the fights would be great.
0: Yeah, that was my idea. You just go on Fight Pass, and you do like a live draft where you're just pulling names out of a hat, and you just match them up because there's just really no wrong answer.
3: Yeah, for sure. I I, I think you really can't mess that up.
0: And in terms of the bantamweight division, you've got uh, T.J. Dillashaw coming back. I I think a lot of people would like to see what he has to offer before he gets a title shot. If you could book him uh, against any opponent, who do you think would be a good matchup for Dillashaw at this stage?
3: Uh, Honestly, I I don't don't really know. Um, We'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm booked. Uh, I don't know when he's coming back. So uh, I I guess, uh, you know... I think Munoz is fighting next weekend, you know. So I, I don't know, man. There's, there's, uh, there's a lot of possibilities, really. He, you know, again, I think you take the top five guys and throw Dillashaw against any one of them, and can't, 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 can't go wrong there either.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's exciting to have him back. I see a lot of similarities between with you and him. I think a matchup down the line with the two of you would be a great one.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely something that uh that could happen. I I could definitely see that in the future for sure.
0: I watched an interview that you did with Mike Swick, uh, I guess it might have been last week, uh, and you admitted that you're a big Jeopardy fan. You watch Jeopardy every night. If you were on Jeopardy, what, other than MMA, if there was a, a subject on Jeopardy that where you would do the best at, what would it be?
3: Oh, man. I would say, I guess history or geography. I'm pretty good at those, somewhat. But I'm not that good, man. I, I just watch, you know, if I get if I get a couple right, I'm happy. <laughs>
0: I was wondering if it was like baseball or something like that. You know, like it could be anything. But because when you say history, there's never history. It's like history of dot, dot, dot. Is there like a a specific area of history that you excel in?
3: I guess American history, I'm not too bad. You know, honestly, I surprised myself with the the stuff, the stuff that, the useless stuff that I know. I say useless because it's not going to really help me out in my field.
0: I'd quiz you in American history, but as a Canadian, I don't have much in my back pocket in terms of that specific, uh, conversation. Uh, so, so looking ahead after this fight, you're going to face, if if you are able to beat Corey, you believe you'll face the winner of Jan and Sandhagen. Who do you think, or oh, sorry, Jan and Sterling rather, who do you think wins that fight?
3: Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, again, it's so hard to pick fights, but, uh, I'm leaning towards Aljo. Um, I still think there's some things about Jan that's, that's unanswered and, uh, He's very good, too. He does have great take down but I could see Aljo going there, getting takedown and, uh, and win this fight.
0: How busy are you looking to stay?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, this is pretty good for me uh, to fight in February. Uh, it, you know, I haven't fought three times in a year in a long time. If, if I could get three fights in this year, that that'd be phenomenal.
0: You know, before the last fight, everybody's asking you, oh, "How much longer do you want to do this for?" And then, like I said, you go out there and you put up a career high in striking numbers. Do you feel good when you see stuff like that? When you do, you feel like, you know, I still got this. Everybody's asking me these questions, and start, sometimes you start to feel like you're getting old because people ask you these questions. But uh, does it does it feel good to see you put on that kind of a performance when you look back at it in hindsight?
3: Absolutely. You know, anytime you go in there and put on a a, a performance like that against a tough guy like Pedro is, is always it was always great for for where i want to go in my career and uh and uh you know i'm at a new weight class and that was the great way to to open up here at at 35
0: i had you winning that fight three three rounds to two um it was a lot of dissension though a lot of people thought that it could have gone either way have you gone back and watched it and if so did you do you have a scorecard for that fight i mean I, i don't think you're gonna score it against yourself but do you feel like you did enough to win that fight
3: yeah i think i did enough you know uh but uh the judges thought i did enough that's the people that matter most. So. It's in the past now. You know, there's fights that I, I go back and that, that I thought I won. I didn't. But if you look at the record books I lost, and I can't go change that. So that's the way it goes.
0: It's been a while since you've had a three-round fight. I think Yair might be the last three-round fight, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, do you like fighting three rounds?
3: I, I'm definitely a five-round fighter. But uh, three rounds definitely easier on your body, especially during the camp. So I'm not complaining too much. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, uh Three rounds, five rounds, I guess, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to win either way.
0: I mentioned significant striking numbers. I'm sure you watched Max Holloway's fight, the first main event of the year. When you saw those numbers he was putting up, how, how do you rationalize that kind of output? It's pretty unbelievable what he was able to do.
3: It was, man. He's, uh, he, that's the perfect fight to put on ABC, you know, and uh, to, have him, or to have him go out there and perform like that. Uh, I wasn't surprised. Max just keeps getting better and better as we go along
0: here. Absolutely. So uh, it's the coming event is this weekend, yourself, Corey Sanhagen, always appreciate your time, Frankie, and, uh, and all the best to you.
3: All uh, right. Thanks, brother. Take care, man.
0: He is one of the greatest to ever do it, mighty Demetrius Johnson. He's taking on Adrian O'Maraish, April the 7th, and it airs on TNT in the U.S., I'm not sure how it's available in Canada. I'll find that out, though, and we can make sure that uh, us Canadians get a chance to watch you uh, in all your glory. So 2020 didn't compete for obvious reasons. We have a global pandemic. But I want to know what your favorite moment of 2020 was.
4: Probably spending time with the wife and kids. Uh, You know, the ability to see the process of my children, uh, mostly my middle son, learning how to read and him enunciating the words and sounding the words um, and just being able to hang out with the wife and my little my little girl, you know, that, those are times I'm not going to get back, right? Obviously, I'm not going to get any time back for competing for one year, but I've been competing since I'm 18 years old. So I think for me, when I look back on 2020, everybody, you know, looks at the negative part of it, but I look at the very positive, which was, uh, you know, quality time with my family.
0: Yeah, you know, I spoke to M- Neil Magny a couple of weeks ago, and he put that into perspective for me. It's It's good to have time where you don't have an opponent because you can focus on yourself rather than another person.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess you could think look at it that way. But for us, our gyms were all closed in Washington State due to the pandemic. So I literally, I think the last time I was in the gym was February. And then I didn't train or grapple until probably five, four or five months. And then now that the gym's been open, I've been back in the gym for about, you know, probably two to three months now. Um, but yeah, so it was just nice to, you know, not worry about fighting, just think about my family and just spend time with them.
0: Yeah, I watched some features on yourself and and your wife, your relationship with your family, uh, on YouTube just prior to doing this interview. And I, I watched her say that you know when you had your first kid, you were very nervous about being a dad. Uh, you didn't meet your dad until you were 30, and you had uh, a pretty abusive relationship with your stepfather. Uh, you know, how long did it take you to get your legs under you in terms of becoming a dad? Was it instantaneous? Was it just kind of, uh, you know, your son was born in a clique? Or how did you become a, a great parent?
4: I think he was born and clicked, like I, uh, well, like my wife said, you know, not having a father, I got, I got to write my own playbook and how I would want my father to be in my life, I, sh- I guess you can say. And, you know, I have a great support system around me. Um, I had a lot of great father figures in my life. And, you know, I, I'm always learning how to be a better fa- father every single day.
0: And, yeah, you just, you know, enjoy it. I love my children. I love kids in general. Did overcoming that mean a lot to you? Like, I mean, when, when you grew up under those circumstances, you had to not only overcome that, but you, you, you know, you probably channeled that into becoming a great athlete. Um, how much of your story do you feel is built on that, is on overcoming that part of your life?
4: Uh, I think it's built more on not having anything growing up and working since I was 15 and a half. And continuing to work all the way up to, you know, my world title fight. And then finally, you know, leaving my daytime job and pursuing a mixed martial arts career. Uh, I think, you know, I wasn't a privileged child. So everything that I earned, you know, I worked hard for. And I, I think that's kind of translated over to how I am now in mixed martial arts. Like I'll continue to work hard to the day I retire. And I always rather do my best whether I win or lose, draw. And that's that's always been my mindset.
0: Do you feel like your children will learn that mentality from watching your career and watching everything that
4: you're putting into your work? Absolutely. One thousand percent. A lot of people, a lot of parents out there, they, they they don't realize their kids watch them. But let me tell you, your kids watch you. And my kids have, you know, they see my career. They see the way I act. And the one of the biggest things I always do, I tell Tyron, my oldest or my youngest, my middle Maverick, I say, Tyrant, why are you yelling at me? He goes, I don't know, Dad. And I was like, let me ask you a question. I was like, do you see me yell at your mom? He goes, no. Do you see your mom yell at me? He goes, no. And he goes, do you see me yell at Maverick? No. Then where are you getting yelling from? So he's learning that from somebody. And it's not, It surely me and me and my wife. So um, I always want to be a great example. And my son's going to start getting into dirt bike racing. And he's going to suffer some losses. He's going to win some races. But. I want him to realize that it's part of the game. You can't win them all and you definitely don't want to lose them all, but you want to keep on continuing and follow your passion. And just like for me, you know, when I lost my title fight against uh, Henry Cejudo or even when I, well, the kids weren't born, but when I lost my fight against Henry Cejudo, came home and my foot was swollen, you know, I had black eye. My son was like, what happened? I was like, daddy lost the fight. And he goes, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, fine. And he goes, are you sure? I was like, yeah, we got a roof over our head. The walls are still standing. You Gucci baby. This is what Daddy does, is to provide a, to provide a, a life for you guys and pay my pay the bills and keep the lights on and put food on the table. Daddy's been a champion for six years straight, dude, and nothing's changed within those six years. And as long as you guys are happy and, and safe and healthy, that is what I care about. And I and I hope that sticks with them. I hope, you know, the way I carry myself in my career, I hope that sticks with my kids. So when they continue when they start their sports, they look back and be like, Well, Daddy lost before he kept on fighting, he was still known as one of the best in the world,
0: so I could still have that same you know I got to have had my dad's mentality that would could be successful that's a very valuable perspective, and you're now of course in one championship, uh, having left the UFC in really an unprecedented trade if they were going to make a thirty for thirty about uh, any anything combat sports related I'm sure that trade would be a good uh, subject of that film. Tell me about how that all came together i mean did did you just get a phone call saying, how would you like to fight in one championship? I know your coach, Matt Hume, is involved with one championship, but I'd love to hear kind of the the brick and mortar behind this trade.
4: <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of parties involved. Um, and it's, it feels like it's been ages ago because I honestly can't remember how it happened. But I remember, you know, approaching my management uh, team, uh, first-time management. I said, hey, you know, Mal, he's he's awesome. He was like, hey, what do you want to do, bro? And I was like, you did you give me my contract? And he goes, I'll get you out tonight. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was a back and forth. You know, luckily, they they ended up coming to an agreement to where, you know, they traded me for Ben Askren, which Ben Askren was a former One Championship athlete, award champion. He's retired, so his contract was still frozen. But One Championship was, was happy to unfreeze his contract in I'll him to go to UFC, test, test his uh, his skill set in the American market and allow me to go to, you know, one championship over to the eastern side of the world and test
0: my skill set. So it started with you asking Malky if he could get you out of your contract.
4: Yeah, I, I asked him, you know,
0: I, I felt it,
4: it was the right time. And, you know, and he asked what I wanted to do and I asked him and he, he, went, he went to work.
0: Now, you've never had any problem getting internal inspiration to become a great athlete. Of course, like I mentioned, you're one of the greatest to ever do it. But how much did the external chip away at you? It's stuff that you can't control, but people are always going to have their weird perceptions about you and you know how marketable you are and all this other kind of nonsense that's outside of what happens in the cage. You know, Dustin Poirier earlier this week said, what happens in the cage is the truth and everything else is just noise. But sometimes that noise annoys, as the Buzzcocks once said. I don't know where that came from. But uh, how much of that actually affected your life on a day-to-day basis? You know, I and I
4: understand where Dustin Poirier is coming from. You know what I mean. And then you got to look at it at a business standpoint. You got to look at the at athlete standpoint. Athlete standpoint. Whatever happens inside the the cage or the ring or the octagon or whatever you're fighting in, that's that's the truth, right? But when you're outside of the octagon or or the cage or the ring, that's when the business mindset comes. You, it, us athletes, we have a small window opportunity to make as much money as possible. So, for me, and when I look at that that statement from Dustin, is that you know. Dustin always puts it down and not in a cage when he when he fights and I think connor he he does too, but he might have so many different things going on in his career where he's making you know four million here he's also got the whiskey business he's also got this business to where all that stuff that he's he's doing he's he's securing his future that way when he's done fighting if Connor wanted to stop fighting to this day, he probably could um but you know as an athlete, I think every single one of every single one of the athletes in the world wants to get to that point where when we're ready to stop fighting, we are financially secure. Every athlete, I don't care what athlete out there says, no, I just love fighting just because I love to fight. You're lying to yourself. We're doing this to get to a point in our lives where we can be financially secure and never have to work again in our lives. Um, You know, and Dustin, he's never been a world champion. He's been an interim champion, but he's never been, like, world champion, like Habib or Conor McGregor or um, Max Holloway. So he's striving for that. So I think... Once he gets that, then he's I'm like, okay, well, I got the belt. Now I'm going to defend the belt. And then those are the things, you know, uh, a mixed martial artist wants to do is that they get in or any athlete wants to do, right? You become, you're, you're in, the, you're a sprinter, right? And your goal might be to win uh, a gold medal in the Olympics. So you're going to keep on doing it. Once you do that, you win the gold medal in the Olympics, you're like, you know what? Let me see if I do it again. You do it again. You do it third, fourth. Okay, I've, I've been a champion. I've won this race so many times. Okay, let's start seeing how I can use my my likeness my brand to start setting seeds that way these seeds can grow grow a nice beautiful tree that way i can harvest um some gains some some money from those trees and then when you're done with your career you look back like baby i've done it all you know i was a champion i defended my belt multiple times we got this beautiful house you know my daughter's college is paid for my son's college is paid for and we don't you know now i can do whatever i want i can enjoy my fruits of my labor through my hard work and my sweat blood and tears. That's what I think every athlete's mindset should be. And yeah, but I, I agree with that statement is that what what happens in the cage or the ring, that's that's the truth. But the truth is also you also gotta focus on the business standpoint, uh the business aspect of mix uh, of of an athlete to where you gotta make as much money as possible. And you know, what what more does a person have to prove when, you know, you're a double champ? Uh I mean he's doing it because he enjoys it so i mean you can spin this however way you want it or look at it anyway but when i hear that comment that's what resonates with me like that's my pain about that comment
0: so at the time when you were looking to get released from your ufc contract did you essentially feel like your legacy box had been checked like you're gonna be the greatest flyweight champion ever for a long time like i don't think that there are a lot of people knocking on that door at this moment At that point in time, did you feel like legacy was kind of secure? And then from here, now it's just about passion and it's about security for you and your family.
4: I think in North America, I've checked that box. I think if you look at every great uh, mixed martial arts athlete that's been in mixed martial arts, obviously, they've competed on both sides of the world. right? You look at Krokot, Benelton Silva, Shogun Hua, Rampage Jackson, uh, Eddie Alvarez, Gilbert Melendez, uh, Nick Diaz. Um, the list just goes on. Those guys fought over Japan, and they also fought North America. I'm basically doing the opposite. I spent most of my year in America, and Denver woke myself, dominated this this hemisphere for six years as a champion. And now I thought it was a great opportunity for me to go uh, fight abroad in Japan, Manila, um, you know Singapore for one of the biggest you know organizations over that side of the world. So that's that's where you know, that kind of started. And um, yeah, and, and it's passion. And now, you know, it's just focusing on securing, securing my future and, and my, my children's
0: future. There's always a level of ego that goes into the sport and that, you know, being an athlete and being a personality. Um, how, how much left is there for you in that bucket? Like, do you, do you still feel like there's stuff that you really want to accomplish before all is said and done? Or is it like I said, just focusing on, the, you know, being a sportsman and, and helping your family?
4: Well, always I mean a little bit of everything, you know, obviously, I still wanna cheat be, be become a world champion again, um, you know, we just won the world grand Prix uh world Grand Prix flyweight belt, but you know I, I wanna be a world champion again if i if I didn't care about that stuff, I wanna train as hard as I do, and with that being said, what well, said, said, um, I know what my end game goal is, right, and so I'm striving for that end game goal, which is the, the future and the family and all that stuff, you know, winning the world title again, that's ice on the cake. Being healthy and, and continue to compete, that's a passion. And also, I on something as well. Uh, being 34 years old, I know my time, my window is, is coming to a close. Like, I don't want to fight when I'm 38, 39. Um, I say that now when it's four years away. But who knows when I get 37, or 38, or 39, I'm like, man, I still love fighting. I'm always going to love fighting. But do I want to keep on putting the miles and damage on my body? Because, you know, that's, you know, the, the, the nature of the beast when you're training – as hard as I am, or any athlete out there is you're putting wear and tear in your body
0: now everybody expects you to win these fights when you go to one championship and they see you as a seven eight to one favorite does that put more pressure on you because of the expectation that you're going to run through these guys I mean I, th- I feel like in the UFC that expectation was sort of there as well, but uh, that expectation has carried over to one championship I think to the nth degree
4: yeah, I try not to worry about what my what people's expectation is on me. I just worry about what I can control and how I go out there and perform like i don't you know, a lot of people have, you know, expectations. And, you know, my job is to go out there and win my fights and compete.
0: How much of your, um, I guess, your decision to leave the UFC came from having conversations with your wife? And what made you happy? Could she tell that you were really unhappy when you were in the UFC?
4: No, not at all. She, she says, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and that's the thing I tell her. You do whatever you want to do and I support you. Uh, and I, I And that's how she supported me. And, you know... That's the way that, that uh conversation went, I guess you
0: could say. I'm sure you had heard rumblings that they were perhaps gonna get rid of the flyweight division while you were in the UFC. Are you happy that the division survived? That there are still there's still a place for athletes uh that are in the hundred and twenty five pound weight bracket in the UFC and that opportunity still uh you know is there for them?
4: Yeah, one thousand percent. I wanna see every athlete, whether it's one twenty five up to two sixty five, I wanna see every athlete have a place to compete, whether it's in America or Japan or Africa, I wanna see every athlete able to make a living, you know, doing whatever they want to do, you know, preferably mixed martial arts. So I'm happy that, you know, the five division stayed. And it's it's one of the it's one of the most exciting divisions. whether it's UFC Hammer or but UFC one championship. I mean it's it's very exciting. Now, the weight guys can do everything the headweights can do. You know, yes, we don't we don't have that one knockout punch power because we don't have the mass behind the body mass behind the punches that landed. But when it comes to the exchanges, the grappling, the combinations, the cardio, we blow the heavyweight we blow the heavyweights out. I mean, the, the next weight class that might be able to compete with us is probably one fifty five and below. Other than that, one fifty five and up, they can't they can never match what we are output. And it's just physicality. It's just the nature of a beast. So if you have a fucking chihuahua. You have a great dane, the great dane's is nowhere gonna the energy output's never gonna be nowhere near to Chihuahua. It's just fucking facts. It's 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 physics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the last thing I want to ask you about is dominance. I you know, I posted a clip of an interview I did with Kamaru Uzman, and the first comment was, What a boring champion. Now, when I see that, it makes me feel like the, the people that write things along those lines are just ungrateful to see dominant champions. I think Usman's one of the most dominant champions we have in the UFC right now, uh, from an MMA community perspective, and you were one of the most dominant champions that we had in the UFC, and people, I'm sure, uttered the same things about you. Why are fans ungrateful for dominant athletes, and why are some dominant athletes, like a GSP and Habib, you know, given a little bit, you know, more, I guess, fandom and more reverence, whereas some other champions, uh, even Tyron Woodley, I would put into this box yourself. Uh, Usman, the dominant champions, even Stepe Miachic as well. Like the dominant champions aren't getting the love.
4: You know, honestly, I don't know what it is. It could be personality. Um, I, I truly don't know what it is. I, I've been in that boat before. I think Kamar Usman is a phenomenal champion, phenomenal athlete. He goes out there, opposes will. I mean, that, that was exciting. I loved it. He ended up breaking his jaw, shutting him up. Um, so I think, you know, people are just gonna be ungrateful, people are gonna be haters, but just like what's the what a homeboy says, uh um, last call from Team AlphaMail, what he say, You boo me, guess what? Enjoy going to work on Monday morning when I'm at the bank cashing my check. That's one thing I just tell, you know, Kamar Usman, everybody who's hating, I mean, if you hating that means you're a negative person, you ain't got nothing positive going on in your life. I think you should always be grateful for an athlete to go out there and provide entertainment and sacrifice his body in our line. And, you know, like you said, if you're going to boo me, just remember, you waking up Monday morning going to work while us athletes go into the bank cash a check.
0: Well, thanks for this, Demetrius. We look forward to watching you continue to your dominance. That was very well said. And as uh, April the 7th. It's on TNT. It's one championship. Yourself against Adriano Moraes, you're looking to add another piece of hardware to that trophy case. Uh, and we appreciate your time.
4: Awesome. Thank you. And shout out to Danny Castillo. That's the gentleman who made that comment. And uh, make sure you guys check us out on April 7th in the States, April 8th in Singapore on TNT Live.
0: You know, in Canada, we used to have a show called The King of Kensington. But if you were to make an American version of that show, it would be this man, Eddie Alvarez, the the real king of Kensington, the underground king, who's uh, uh. participating in the next one championship event is April the 7th against Yuri Lapicus. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, Eddie. Uh, how's everything been? How's, uh, how's the world treating you?
5: I'm excellent, brother. Um, we've been getting ready, getting ready for this for a little while now. Um, I just got home from Colorado. Um, got to train a little bit with, uh, with, uh, uh, Kumar, Kamaru Usman, um, who's getting ready for his world title fight, um, soon. And, uh, just like starting my camp off in a, on a good foot and uh, going to go all the way to April 7th and uh, get some real work in.
0: Yeah, Denver looks like it's becoming a bit of a hotbed for training. you got Overeem headlining this weekend's card. Uh, Team Elevation's got a lot of up-and-coming stars. I mean, Sandhagen's on the, uh, the, the co-main event. So uh, really a lot of great uh, talent to train out there with. Were you training exclusively with Kamaru?
5: With him, uh, Justin Gaethje was out there, um, Trevor Whitman. Trevor showed me some new tricks that I could bring home. Um, him and Mark Henry already get along. They really get along really well. So, um, just to kind of show Mark some of the stuff that Trevor's going over and vice versa. Um, it's always good to have, you know, more intelligent people in a room than, than less. So, uh, going out there kind of seeing how they're doing things and collaborating a little bit. Definitely. Um, it was, um, it it was definitely worth, worth the trip.
0: Well, that seems like an obvious question, but training with Justin Gaethje must've been interesting given the, uh, the bout that you guys had together years ago. It must be a a crazy amount of mutual respect there.
5: Yeah. When, when, when violence gets too high of a degree, you can only choose peace, um, (laughs) or else everyone perishes. So, um, (laughs) me, me and Justin have nothing but respect for each other. He's an awesome guy. Um, he was gracious enough to kind of let his coach kind of we we all were in the same room together, kind of coaching, showing me some of the stuff that he does. Um, I, I even asked the coach like critically, like, hey, when we we're going into the fight, what are some of the things that, you know, you were looking to exploit against me so I could tighten up my game? You know, so it was definitely a good clash of heads and uh, just trying to every, everyone in the room trying to get become better martial artists.
0: Well, you look at the top of the lightweight division in the UFC. It's extremely interesting. We had uh, Poirier and McGregor recently, of course. Gaethje's in the mix. Chandler's in the mix. You fought all these guys. Uh So when you see Dustin Poirier get that win over Conor McGregor, you know what, what's your immediate thought?
5: Um, that's that's just the nature of the sport, man. On it, on any given night, any given style matchup, um, we we can all take each other out. That's just that's just how it goes. Um. I don't know if fans don't necessarily understand that yet, but they, it, it definitely, when enough guys get beat, um, there, there becomes an understanding that it's about the athlete and the focus of the athlete on that night and the style matchup. So, um, just because one guy beats another guy doesn't mean he can beat the next. So styles make matchups, man. And, uh, Dustin fought a beautiful fight. He went out there fought a great style, Very difficult for Connor to deal with when he fought that style, when he puts some sprints on and causes that kind of panic and he was successful because of it. So um, hats off to Dustin, man. If anyone deserves it in that division, it's him. He's been he's been through the fire. He's fought the best guys in that division and um, um, he deserves the victory that he got.
0: You raise a really interesting point about the perception about what can be accomplished in the cage. It, I was one of the very few that thought Dustin was going to win that fight. It seemed like almost everybody uh, thought Conor was going to win because I feel like they kept showing that same replay over and over and over again, and then that becomes the gospel. That becomes the truth. But we look at what Dustin Poirier has accomplished since that moment in time, and I think, in, you know, in my opinion, in the UFC, he's by, you know, by a, a good margin the number two guy behind Khabib, and now if Khabib's gone, he was the man. And uh, you, you look at what the odds for that fight were. I just thought they were way off.
5: Yeah. So um, I was one of them guys who thought that if if it stayed standing, the majority of the time Connor would win the fight. He gauges distance well. He um, he has better timing. Uh, he's faster. Uh, he has he has a longer reach. So like he had all the tools to get the job done. But uh, them sprints that Dustin does, uh, it if you're a better technical fighter, when Dustin does them sprints, it, it, it makes it, it, makes your better technical fighting go. It's meaningless. Now, now you have to fight, you have to kind of uh, adjust quickly and you're, you you can not be the same creative um, slick technical fighter that you were. You have to dig down and become, become a, a fist fighter, you know, uh, and get into a little bit of a slugfest. And um, Dustin's great at that, and Connor's not. So he basically put the fight into a situation where he's really good, and Connor's not. So, uh, and that was that was his manipulation. So he deserves all the credit for it.
0: And when you fought Connor, what was your strategy? Like, if if everything would have gone according to plan, what would have happened in that fight? Of course, aside from you winning that fight, what would you have done differently?
5: Yeah. So like, if you watch the fight it immediately, I come out with kicks. I wanted to kick the South pole because there's lead legs right there to kick. So I started the fight correctly, um, kicking and then mostly kicking and wrestling. That was the, that was the plan for two months. And, uh, you know, every, like the, the old adage goes, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. So like I, I got caught, I got caught with a good shot pretty early in the fight. And um, kind of went back to my old ways. I, just, I tried to strike and box too much, and I and I and I paid for it. So um, the plan the plan was not that the plan's always the plan against a guy like Connor's to kick his lead leg, you know, get get him hobbling on that lead leg. Of course, beat it up a little bit that way he don't have so much power on that left hand, and then wrestle him, you know, cause him to panic, get his heart rate up, and, re- and wrestle him they're the two things that kind of would work against a guy like Conor McGregor, And it's kind of, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. That's fist fighting. Uh, you go in there, you have an idea of what you want to do and then the fight plays itself out and it, it doesn't always go to plan. So, um, that's just, that's just how, you know, that's just how it went. Luckily for Dustin, you know, he, um, he forced his plan on him and did really well.
0: I heard you on Frankie Edgar's podcast recently, uh, and you talked about how after that fight, you, you were driving home and you cried for about 90 minutes uh, I mean, to, to let the emotions out. Do you take all of your uh, losses that, that hard or was that one in particularly difficult for you to swallow?
5: I don't, I don't today, but yeah, I don't today. Is like I'm 37, I have four children. I, I would not want them to beat themselves up the way I beat myself up over failure, um, nor would I suggest that to anybody who I loved and knew like any other teammates or athletes it's just my own my own critical self that does that you know what i mean it's 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 a large part of the reason i'm successful and a large part of the reason you know it's it's not a great thing it's it's better to kind of find a balance somewhat in between but uh it definitely is is a part of the reason i'm successful is because i i am I am really critical of myself and I, and I expect I have really high expectations of myself, especially at competing at a high level against the, cha- against champions throughout my whole life. I have very high expectations and when I don't meet them, yeah, it's disappointing. I, I put my heart and soul into it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be disappointing and I got to go through that, through that grieving process to, to kind of forgive myself
0: you go into your fights again, this is kind of from that interview with Frankie with the mentality that you've already won. Like you are going to destroy that person. So when that doesn't come to plan, is that what is where the devastation stems from?
5: Yeah. It has to do with expectations, you know, and you need them. You can't, you can't say I'm not going to have any expectations that way. I'm not disappointed. You um you have to set a standard for yourself. You got to go in there with a standard uh, and you almost hold yourself um you hold yourself up and you're, obligated to live up to it. So um, that needs to happen. That needs to happen, especially at the highest level. So I don't run from that I don't, I, I, the, the key is you don't run from it. You know what I mean? You, you set the standard, you go for it. If it doesn't happen, you adjust, you pivot, you adjust, and then you go after it again. There is no retreating. There is no hiding in a hole and never coming back. That's That's not an option, you know, at the highest level you compete, um, to the best of your ability, your strongest spirit. And then, and then if you fall, you fall forward, you come back stronger.
0: We know that McGregor spends a lot of time, uh, doing outside endeavors, outside ventures you're kind of the same way. You, you have a lot going on outside of the cage. I know that you're very successful when it comes to the business world. Uh, what do you spend a lot of your time outside of the cage and outside of the time with your family? What, what are you doing most of that time in order to kind of grow, um, you know, the, the amount of earning potential you have?
5: Yeah. So, um, since I was 20 years old, I've been reading books on real estate, on finance, on, you know, you name it. I I probably had, I probably read all of them maybe twice. So, um, I couldn't wait to get to a point in my life where like my flight career where I actually had extra money that I could execute half the things I was reading about. So, um, I'm fortunate enough today to be able to take large lump sums of flight money and be able to invest them properly. So, um, I, I, I had a real estate company since I was about 25 years old, um, where I, where I rented or flipped and sold property. And, um, I do that. I I own commercial real estate. I own some buildings. Um, I also flip and rent and, and do things on that side. So like real estate is my, one of my main passions. And then I, you know, I love trading the stock market. That's, that's another thing. So like just business or just anything kind of uh, in the real estate realm or stocks or investing um, you know, I'm all for it. And that kind of gets me excited um, outside of fighting.
0: That's an incredible accomplishment because you've talked about coming up in Kensington, uh, just outside of, or I don't know if it's outside of Philadelphia or part of Philadelphia. It's an area where uh, the expectations are probably pretty low when you're growing up in that area. Uh, how did you know at age 20 that you were going to be able to, uh, well, I mean, what inspired you at age 20 to start learning about real estate and, and start delving into that world? Because uh, that that's a pretty big leap of faith in yourself that you know that at some point in time, you're going to be able to hone that craft.
5: Well, I think I think if you grow up without money and then every time a situation comes up, you realize the answer to it is money. You know, like, uh, I grew up, I I grew up on welfare. Um, I grew up in Kensington, which is like probably, possibly one of the most drug ridden terrible places in Philadelphia to grow up. And then when you realize like, um, when you don't have money, almost every single answer to what you want is no, no, no like you can't have that. You can't go there. You can't drive this. You can't, there's a lot of no's. And I think at a certain point in your life, you, you get sick of hearing no, and you want to hear yes. So like I knew that I needed to hold myself accountable to educate myself, to get better at that game. So I wasn't saying I'm going to learn about money because I'm going to be rich one day. And I just knew that it was something that I needed to learn about to dive into if I wanted to change my life, if I wanted to stop here and know so much and I wanted to hear yes. So um, I just changed the way I thought about it um, and changed the way I treat it, treat it money. And when I got it, um, I learned how to manage it better. So um, I don't think it was a deep belief myself while I was reading the books. I think it was just that I was sick of the the pain of not having and the pain of hearing no all the time is great enough to kind of, force you in action and learn about it
0: now we haven't gotten to a stage in time where the fighters have unionized or anything along those lines but i feel like a lot of the fighters could glean a lot of information from guys like yourself, like James Krause, who have really taken the money that you've earned uh, from this career and turned it into something more and and been able to whatever, double it, triple it uh, outside of that. Have you ever thought about going and doing public speaking, doing symposiums with a lot of the different fighters and and talking about your successes outside of the cage and how they could duplicate that kind of success while being successful in the cage? Yeah,
5: I, I do now. I don't market it, but I, I, I do speak to, uh, to large companies, to sports teams, things like that, um, MLS teams, and I do speak. Um, I don't, I don't market and, and go out and say, "Hey, I'm I'm a speaker and this and that." Um, I'm more of a mentor to a lot of a lot of younger fighters, friends, and business people. So um, something I would like to do, yeah, I, I would like to to be a mentor to to show people kind of the right steps long-term steps to kind of that can lead them to success that would end up a byproduct of them of being this type of person would end up being success in general so like uh yeah i would enjoy that that's be something that i'd be into
0: well you're up by vayner sports with uh, gary and aj vaynerchuk so i think you've got some good contacts in that realm if you need uh, any sort of mentorship there
5: yeah gary's the man gary's uh Gary's always on the move, always, always thinking, always forward thinking. I think we're all living in the present, and Gary's twenty Gary's uh, twenty years ahead of all of us. You know, so um, to have him, you know, to be with, with Vayner Sports Media and to have that resource kind of there, it's just a it's a breath of fresh air. It helps you sleep at night, um, knowing that. You have a team behind you that, like, is that intelligent? Is that forward-thinking? And is, you know, they got your back.
0: Well, you've got that incredible trophy case behind you. I'm sure that getting a one championship, lightweight championship, uh, and becoming, I guess, the first fighter probably to get a championship in Bellator, UFC, and one championship is probably the last check you have on, on your mixed martial arts bucket list. Would that be fair to say?
5: Yeah, I, I'm never going to say, like, that's it. Um, that's going to be a very difficult thing to say, but yeah, I need that. I need that world title. I need it. It's not a, you know, I, I need it up there. I need, I have an empty spot up there somewhere for it. Um, I need that for my legacy. It, It just means I'm not super concerned with like, you know, popularity per se. I'm more concerned with truth and, and what, what things are and to be able to fly and travel to the, to the deepest parts of these worlds and fight the best guys in the world from all over. I'll just know my truth at the end, you know, that I I didn't stay with one place. I didn't, I didn't try just to fight a few section people. I literally went across the world and back to fight the best guys in the world to win every single major world title. And that's, you know, that's been the goal of mine from the very beginning to find out who I am and find out uh, what I'm made of.
0: Why do so few, few athletes take advantage of free agency? I know that's something you've discussed in, in previous interviews.
5: Yeah, it's kind of sad. Um, I try to coach guys along who I know have one foot left on a contract. I try to put them at ease, let them know they're worth, let them know that they have a value outside of these major promotions. You know, that that. Um. the truth is a lot of fighters don't see their own value. They don't they don't believe that they have a value outside of the larger promotions that just their name themselves can draw a crowd and draw, you know, way bigger money than what they're, what they're, you know, getting in the present moment. So, um, I try to help them believe in themselves, help them know that there's a value outside of, outside of these promotions, that there's just a value in their name and in their brand and the way they fight. So, um, I do my best to do that. But uh, the few who listen do really well, <laughs> you know, the few who listen, the few who listen or, or kind of mimic what I've done. They do really well for themselves as far as negotiating outside.
0: Well, I know your former training partner Edson Barboza, is in that boat. He's trying to get that last fight uh, done. And then he's going to, I guess, explore that realm.
5: Yeah. And he's a guy who his fights solve themselves crazy explosive possibly one of the best athletes i've ever trained with like athletic athletic wise like this guy is a phenom you know i say he's an avatar he's not even real you know it, it, just the athlete he is is incredible and uh he's one of the names that outside of anywhere you know is worth a hell of a lot more than what he's what he's uh being valued at now
0: Right, anyway, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. It's April the 7th. Yourself, Yuri Lapakis. It's on TNT. It's uh, one championship. I really appreciate your time, and uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. Hell yeah, man. Nice seeing you. All right, we can expect some big energy this weekend. It's Mike Slow Rodriguez. Slow Mike Rodriguez, I should say. Where did that nickname come from? I mean, you got fast hands. You finish your fights fast. Give me, give me the lowdown on that. Uh,
6: so it, it all started when I first got to Joe's. Uh, Joe Lozon's gym I uh, I came from a straight Muay Thai background so and you know Muay Thai everything's like like just rigid and stiff you know and so um, I'm hitting mitts with my boxing coach Steve Mays for the first time he's like come on come on he's like hit me with a one-two I'm like okay and I'm just like rah, rah. he was like holy shit you're slow <laughs> he was like dude your molasses slow and they used to always call me Big Mike, and then that's when Slow Mike stuck. Everybody's like, "Oh, that's Slow Mike."
0: <laughs> that's not the most flattering nickname. Are you looking to grow past that?
6: Uh, it doesn't bother me. It's whatever. It's a nickname. I, I always say like, like, you know, nicknames. Then like, they're just given. You know, you can't choose them. So it's like whatever.
0: Yeah, you can't be like, "I'm I'm Mike Tibone Rodriguez." Now it just doesn't fly. Right. <laughs> uh, so I actually think it's a good nickname because people might underestimate your speed now.
6: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: How long have you been training in, like, a, a full, well-versed uh, mixed martial arts environment? And you mentioned you come from a Muay Thai background. When did you uh, start practicing, you know, martial arts as a whole?
6: I switched to, like, MMA because I, I always wanted to do MMA, but, like, I started with Muay Thai first. But I, I didn't switch till I was, like, well, I would want to say, like, mm, 2021, 20, somewhere around
0: now. Okay, so you've been practicing martial arts for, for more than 10 plus years.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Your last fight, obviously, it was a very weird situation. I've watched interviews with you since, and it seems like it just rolls right off your back. But be honest with me, are there nights where you're up thinking about it where you're like, huh oh, you know that <laughs> that that really sucks that that happened
6: no i it's I'm more like the only thing I ever think about is just decision making in in the moment, and like I made well, at the time I thought it was the right decision, but uh I should have just been more cautious. Um, when I was trying to go for the finish, so so I won't get submitted.
0: <laughs> well, when when that situation happened, obviously there was a long stop time. The replay played. You know that it was a legit shot. Does that take you out of your game at that moment? Because obviously the, the smallest of things can impact. Um, you, you know what's happening in the cage. The, the slightest thing can throw you off if it doesn't go your way.
6: D- did that? Did that shake you at all? No, it did not shake me. I um, I just was like, whatever. You know, just continue going. At first, I thought I did hit him below the belt until I saw my corner reaction and I saw the, the, the screen up top, and I heard Bisping behind me saying that um, he deserved an Oscar or whatever, and I'm like, what is he talking about? I was like, what the hell? So literally it was like everybody was everybody had this inside joke that I was not in on until I saw the replay. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, for a second, I didn't know. I was like, oh, man. It's a bummer. I hit him below the belt, but yeah.
0: Well, when there's refereeing, you're putting um, human error into the equation. Obviously, we're not going to have robots uh, refereeing mixed martial arts, but when you have right. the technology to go and replay something like that and see that you got something wrong, even if you can call it a no contest, which they could have done retroactively because uh, your manager, uh, Tyson Chartier, he uh, did appeal the decision, and they just basically ignored it, and they, they said, no, we're denying your appeal. You can get that right eventually. That should be a no contest, in my opinion
6: yeah it should i, I thought it was on a turn I'm like you know you know he made he made a mistake, he messed up, made a mistake, but um they didn't i guess it wasn't enough still i I don't know what what i like what to do to change it to a no contest, so I just like you know what whatever. I mean, like I said, you seem like a very
0: laid back guy uh, had had this country been open, though, if if you had the option to fight either in Las Vegas or, say, Chicago or somewhere else, would you have any hesitations to compete in Las Vegas because of how they handled that appeal?
6: Uh, Yeah, I still fight there. I just I guess we just got to be more careful. Well, they got to be more careful. But uh, they, they also implement, implemented the replay now, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I'm fine.
0: Yeah, still after playing. the fact, I guess, they, they implemented it because of the push yeah. from the UFC. The UFC have been pushing for it for a long time. And, I mean, you, you'll see instant replay even in basketball now and in, in football for many years. It seems like it's, yep. it's just a natural thing to happen.
6: Yep. It makes sense. should should be there in every sport, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so now going forward, you're against Danilo Marquez. What can you tell me about him?
6: Danilo Marquez is a really good grappler. Um, he likes to backpack. He, uh, I think he's, he's Damian Laya Black belt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but um, yeah, he's a, he's a good he's he's game. He always shows up. He's a good opponent.
0: And I mean, with Mishmash martial arts, it's it's you know easy to simplify things when you're from the outside looking in, like I am. I mean, I would just say keep this fight on the feet and don't go to the ground would be a, an ideal strategy. Is that the strategy going in? <laughs>
6: <laughs> the strategy is just to execute, man. Just to just enjoy the process and just continue to fight and just you know pick him apart. Uh, round after round, every exchange.
0: So I saw that you're a big fan of Rainbow Six Siege. Now, I don't know much about video games because I'm chasing three kids around and I've been disconnected from that (laughs) world for some time. But uh, how much time do you get to devote to that and why are you so tied in with that community? It seems like, uh, you know, you're, of course, part of the mixed martial arts community and also a big part of this community. You're giving shout-outs after your fights to a lot of the members of uh, the Rainbow Six uh, community. Tell me about your involvement with it.
6: I... I just love the I love the community. I love the game. The game is it's my favorite game on the market right now. Um it's a five v five tactical shooter. Uh like huge it's it's like it's kinda like a uh if you know what a MOBA is, it's kinda like that. Like everybody has a job, everybody has a, a design thing to do. It's not like COD where everybody can just run around and be super soldiers all day. Like you know, everybody has a task to do and you need to work as a team in order to get the victory. So um coming from MMA the MMA background. MMA is essentially the same thing. Granted, we are only competing one on one. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Everybody has a goal. Everybody helps, you know, the fighter get to where they need to get to. So yeah, that's why it just grew an attraction to me. So but what me just giving out shout outs, I went to a lot of the land events and everything, watched a lot of the esports. Like I just fell in love with it. And uh I just grew into the community, it just took me in so yeah it's been pretty awesome it seems like the
0: e-gaming community is fairly positive uh again i'm very disconnected from that world and i'm just this is again from an outsider's uh, standpoint um (laughs) what would you say the mma community could learn from the e-gaming community
6: um i would say well they they both they both have like their faults but i would say one thing that they can learn about it is that um Man, you don't have to be so negative, man. I feel like the MMA community is like everybody. Like, there's a lot of negative people. Just people that just like, you can't trust. Like, there's a lot of like mistrust among some people. Um, thankfully, I I haven't had dealt with any of that. But I've just heard horror stories between like managers, coaches, teammates, everything. Like, you just can't trust certain people, uh, which is unfortunate. But yeah, that that would be one thing is just try to be more unified. To try to help everybody grow. So, yeah.
0: Why do you think that is? I mean, you, you compare, I guess, the worlds of uh, Rainbow Six and, and Call of Duty. Call of Duty is kind of a dog-eat-dog type game, whereas Rainbow yeah. Six is more of a cooperative game. Why aren't people a little bit more cooperative and collaborative in this community? Is it because it's a one-on-one sport when it comes down to it, uh, you know, when it comes down to the actual competition?
6: I think that's what it is. I think it's because it's just one-on-one. I think if it's more team-based, then people will be more, you know, they're, they're, they'll be more, you know, Nice to each other, if you would say. But, yeah, it's just the fact that everybody's like, well, I got to look out for me. Why well, I got to look out for me. Why well, I got to look out for me. Granted, in the scheme of things, that is essentially how you get by in life. You got to look out what's best for your interests. But it's like, you, you know, it, you don't always got to be that way. It, it always don't have to be that way, in my opinion, anyways.
0: Well, from what I understand, Boston is probably the most Rainbow Six of any of these MMA communities. From what I understand, I think it's on <laughs> Saturdays, all the gyms kind of come together and train together.
6: Yeah, you're damn right. New, uh, new England versus the world, man. That's how it is.
0: <laughs> so what are the big New England gyms? I mean, there's Lozon's. There's, of course, Tyson, uh, you know, trains the New, the new England cartel. Uh, what are the different gyms in uh, in Boston? Who's representing Boston right now in MMA? Like, who are the big players? I know there's Calvin Cater, Rob Font, yourself. Uh, Parker yeah. Porter just got signed. He's had two fights so far. Give me some names uh, that we should also be looking out for. Um, you
6: got uh, from... I mean Kyle Botniak just won yeah, uh, we Saturday, had a really good comeback victory. Um you got uh Charles Rosa, he's in the UFC, he's he's from around here too. Um you know, this dude, there's so many. Then there's so many other guys that's coming up on the rise as well. Uh you'll start hearing out like Mitch Raposo, he's a one twenty five from uh, regiment. He um he's a stud. He'll be he'll be in the mix for sure. Um you got uh Fabio Chavant. Who also he's around he's a Lozon guy as well. He uh he's fighting for LFA next week for the title. Um yeah, man, it, it is a whole bunch. We even got some guys in glory. My man Ross Levine. He's over there. Uh he should he uh I think he got something coming up soon. But yeah, it, you know, we're we're always busy, man. We're always busy. Yeah,
0: Ross trains with uh, when he's allowed in Canada, he trains with my podcast co host Joe Valtellini. So I I'm familiar yeah, with Ross.
6: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's what he's been Dude, he's been the ace for me all throughout these last three training camps. He's been the man. I've been doing a lot of training with him. Is he, is he cornering food. you this, uh, this coming weekend? No, 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 no. He's not cornering me. He just helps me out with a lot of the sparring, and um, he just always gives me another perspective of things. Um, him coming from like a, you know, karate karate background as well as you know, he's a high level kickboxer. He just has like a different view of things, you know. So
0: did, yeah, did you watch Glory this past weekend? It was one heck of an event.
6: No, I heard though. I heard. I didn't mean, even know it happened. I saw a highlight. and I'm like, wait, glory. I thought it was old. That was something old that somebody posted. But no, it was. They was like, no, it was last week. I was like, oh shoot. But no, I'll probably watch that during the fight during this fight week.
0: Yeah, you should watch it. It was. I mean, the the bout between um, Alex Pereira and um, I forget the name of the other guy, the light heavyweight champion, uh, or I guess former yeah. now former light heavyweight champion Artem um, Vakitov. That was a, yeah. that was an awesome fight. I mean, that's your your weight class, so uh, I would highly nice. recommend that one. That's uh, that's worth a watch for sure.
6: <laughs> Will do.
0: Although I just kind of spoiled it for you, so I apologize. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh <goodness>. so uh, <laughs> it's okay. well, best of luck to you this weekend, uh, Danilo Marquez. That should be a fun one. Uh, it has thank been a you. pleasure watching your evolution in the UFC. Of course, this last that last fight was a bummer. I'm glad that it's in the rearview mirror for you, and uh, and best of yeah. luck this weekend.
6: Thank you, man. Thank you so much.
0: A big thank you to our guests for joining us today, Kamaru Usman. Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, Corey Sanhagen, Frankie Edgar, Mike Rodriguez. A very fun show with some interesting opinions, interesting conversations. I always enjoy getting to share these with you. And that's really what the premise of this show is. I do interviews and I share them with you. And it's a wonderful premise. And I only ask for one thing in return. And I've been doing this as of late. I don't like soliciting all that much, but... I bring you an ad-free show week after week, and all I ask for is a nice review on iTunes. Give us five stars, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you you, uh, listen to this show, and uh, give us a nice review. That's all I ask. Get two free shows a week. It's a beautiful thing. And you'll get another one next week. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the TSN MMA Show. Aaron is saying goodbye. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit
3: tsn.ca slash UFC.